Welcome to On the Shop Floor, a Weaver Beyond the Numbers podcast. I'm Colby Horn, this is Curtis Dixon, and we're going to be your host for today's episode. Today, joining us is Ralph Ferales. He's a director of tax, and he leads our fixed asset advisory services, and he's going to help us start discussing a little bit of plant property equipment for our M&D industry. Ralph, welcome to the podcast. Thank Thank you for having me on the shop floor. Thanks. Happy to be here. How was the travel down from New York? It was uh, uneventful and uh, nice to be in warmer weather. You brought a little bit of that cold with us and a little bit of storm, but we we needed it. I think so. We won't give you a hard time for the Jets and the Giants and where our Cowboys are, but (laughs) regardless, we're happy. Let's not talk about football on today's (laughs) podcast. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, let's let's get this started. What is Fixed Asset Advisory Services, Ralph? Uh, so Fixed Asset Advisory Services is part of our strategic tax services uh, group. And it's um, basically STS is a group of folks that are subject matter experts in certain areas of tax. And Fixed Asset Advisory deals mostly with tangible property, capitalization, cost recovery. So for clients that ha- that are capital intensive, um, fixed asset advisory helps our clients uh, with some of those uh, challenges, issues, and and questions. Awesome, awesome. I know one thing that comes up quite a bit with you know our M and D type clients is GAAP versus tax treatment. When should they be the same? When do they have to be the same? When can they be different? I know obviously from a tax standpoint, I'm generally wanting to expense faster, right? Get that deduction quicker. So right. what are some of the gap versus tax reporting differences and options that we have that our clients can benefit from? Yeah. And th- that's a great question. And that's actually a question that comes up all the time. Um, on the gap side, there's a lot more flexibility um, that, that taxpayers have. You can choose what useful life you have for your assets. You can pretty much set up your capitalization policy the way it makes sense for your business. For tax, it's a little bit different. For tax, we have rules that the IRS prescribes, right? So the methods, the conventions, the recovery periods are very specific to the asset. Um, There's also placed in service requirements. Gap's a little bit different than that. I know we might touch upon it uh, a little bit later in the podcast, but there's differences in when uh, assets are placed in service. For Gap, for example, economic performance, when they're ready and available for their intended purposes. Uh, for tax. Um, so it's a little bit different. And um, oftentimes clients struggle because administratively, it might be easier to follow book. Yeah, just have one method. Just have one method. Uh, but from a economic perspective, from a, a tax perspective, sometimes it makes sense to look at them differently. Yeah, are we leaving deductions on the table? Are we taking advantage of the time value of money? That's right. All of those type things. That's right. So there can be a lot of nuance and just because we've been doing it this way or GAP's doing it this way, is that really what's most beneficial? Is that really the right way to do it? That's that's absolutely right. In regard to expenses and what should be capitalized, especially on the repairs and maintenance side, knowing how relevant that is in the, the MDNR space, what does that look like? And do we also have to follow GAP? Do we have some ability to do things differently on the tax side of things? Uh, no, that's and that's an, a, a great question that uh, comes up often. Um, and again, we had the 2013 tangible property repair regs, uh, which you both probably remember. And there are very specific rules for tax, um, whether something's a betterment to a unit of property, a restoration or a renovation to a unit of property, um, or whether it's adapting it to a different use. Those are typically the criteria for capitalizing an expenditure for tax purposes. Um, on the contrary, now, if you have um, a repair that 
fits none of those three, uh, you can make the argument that it, it could be expense as a repair. Um, obviously for book, it depends on your capitalization policy and what you do there. So there are definitely differences between how we treat an expenditure for tax and for book when it comes to repairs. Yeah, in my head, I always think of bar betterment, adaptation, restoration. Can't always explain all the three so well, but bar, if it's bar, that's right. We know we got to. Yeah. Now there's, there are, um, those same tangible property repair regs did make it, um, a little bit easier for taxpayers to follow book. Uh, there are some elections and, and one of the most popular ones is the de minimis election, where if you have a de minimis, um, threshold for book purposes, you can follow that for tax purposes if it's under a certain amount. So there are, uh, ways to keep following book. Um, but there's definitely some expenditures where you have to look at it differently. I know we see it quite a bit. We want to keep things simple for our clients, but at the same time, I don't want to leave money on the table. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, we're we're trying to help educate them and and give them the best advice as possible. But right. So one thing that I'm hearing a lot, or at least in discussions with uh, my clients, and maybe to better describe it, is acquire to retire method. Uh, could you maybe expand on that and what it is and 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 benefits of it? Sure. Um, so. In our fixed asset advisory practice, we like to look at the life cycle of an asset, right? Not just what happens on the tax side. We also like to see what happens on the book side and frankly, how an asset becomes an asset. So it's one of the ways in which we advise our clients is all the way from when somebody on the factory floor actually fills out a purchase order and gets a piece of equipment in, or it could be a portion of a building it could be anything that you purchase, all the way through to what happens to that asset along the way. How does it become an asset uh, in the ERP system on the book side? What happens to it on the tax side? How do we treat repairs? Um, how do we treat those improvements? And then all the way through to when that asset is retired. How do we dispose of it? Um, gain calculations, things of that sort. So it's really a holistic way of, of looking at what happens to an asset, that life cycle of an asset. And well, we help our clients with pretty much throughout that whole life cycle um, with processes, capitalization policies, and um, really how to treat that asset throughout its, throughout its life. And I guess al along those same lines, knowing that the bonus depreciation rules are shifting, I think that acquired to retire with, okay, we spent more money, right? We're buying more assets. That's right. Some of it may be... Uh, along the lines of real property or real property related, and are we taking things off the books that have bases that can give us deductions? So I, I feel like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but going into a new environment from a tax deduction standpoint, acquired to retire is becoming even more important because you're leaving deductions on the books potentially. That's right. No, that's right. Um, you really want to take a look again uh, the, the the tax book differences, um, and what we see a lot of too is uh, sometimes our clients. ERP systems um, are very inflexible when, when it comes to tax, right? So again, just because you're doing something on the book side doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it correctly or efficiently on the tax side. Uh, so you could definitely leave some deductions on the table um, that you could otherwise take. Which is why we have these experts that can actually look at things <laughs> and understand things and Get our get our clients some benefits out of it. I, I love it. Right. And that and you know, and and just uh, managing fixed assets. Um, our manufacturing and distribution clients have a lot of assets. They're capital intensive. 
So that management of fixed assets is, is very important, right? How are you managing that? What system are you using? What platform are you using to do that? And again, it's not always advantageous to use your ERP for tax. That's something that I found throughout my career. Uh, oftentimes, uh, an ERP system meant for gap and for books is not very good. Right, I keep right. track of tax. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my clients never complain personally, so I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about there. But well, we couldn't have you on today without at least briefly talking about cost segregation. This is not a real estate podcast, but it still does come up with our clients and you know their warehouses and stuff they're doing. So, can you briefly talk asset and maybe talk also about like when's the best time to do that? Sure, because uh, I, I do have a lot of clients that end up reaching out later on down the line and maybe don't understand what the cost seg, the point of it is, or when they should do it. Uh, so if you could maybe address that. Sure. So simply put, cost segregation has been around for a long time. It's still really basic blocking and tackling. I think any client out there that is um, either purchasing real property or um, building real property should look at cost segregation. Um, simply put, cost segregation is looking at real property, right, that's depreciated over a long life for tax, um, usually 39 uh, years straight line, and seeing if we can identify components or assets within that real property that we can shorten the life on, right? That we can accelerate uh, that recovery period. And oftentimes you get bonus depreciation, even though that's starting to phase down a little bit. Um, but you also get accelerated depreciation uh, just from makers, right? Either 200% declining balance or 150% declining balance. So, um, from a cash tax savings opportunity, it's definitely something that we recommend to all our clients to look at because there's usually some savings there. Um, it reduces taxable income. Uh, it gives you some granularity and visibility into what you actually purchased or built, which is an intangible of cost segregation. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a great point. Right, instead of having just one line item called building, all of a sudden, now you're breaking it out and really having some good visibility into what you uh, into what you own in that um, in that structure. Now, as far Colby, you asked as far as um, you know, when's the right time to do it? I typically like to say as early as possible, right? Um, so my background and uh, you know, most of the folks that that work on our team that do this type of work are engineers by background. Um, so I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, I'm also an enrolled agent, right? So I understand the tax world. Um, and I like to go in really during the design phase, right? So if a client is designing uh, a building that they want to build out, or frankly, even if they're in discussions on purchasing a building, acquiring, we should be in there talking through, hey, what are the tax advantages of doing certain things or looking at certain assets? Right. So pre-physical. Um, any physical Correct. assets even being ready. Correct, the even time. before the shovel's in the ground. Um, the other advantage to that too is you have contractors that are still there and willing to help you uh, during the construction phase. And as we all know, uh, you know, once you have a contractor leave your house, if you're doing a kitchen renovation and the contractor leaves, you're done, right? You're not getting that contractor back. So uh, it's always more advantageous to have the contractor there uh, to have the architect available. Now, having said that, we do a lot of cost segregations where it's not, uh, where it doesn't happen contemporaneously with the construction, right? It comes after the fact. And one of the nice things about cost seg is that in most cases, it's an automatic method change, right? So there's no need to go back and amend 
a tax return. So it keeps it easy from our standpoint. Keeps it easy from the tax preparer standpoint. So we can file a form 3115. Um, there's a section 481A adjustment. If the building was, was purchased or uh, constructed in a prior year, you catch up those missed de uh, depreciation deductions in the current year and you file that form 3115 and there's no need for, for amending returns. So that's, that's an important note. Yeah, clients love not having to amend and open yourself up to additional scrutiny by the state or the IRS. Not that we don't all love the IRS, of course. Uh, I know they're listening some, somewhere yeah. here. One other question I have, I, well, I guess two really. Sure. Section 179D and not expensing fixed assets under Section 179, but Section 179 Cap D. Can you just briefly, I know we do see that from time to time with our clients. We do. Tell us what that is. Sure. So Section 179 Cap D is the energy efficient commercial building deduction. Um, it's been around for a while, but as part of the Inflation Reduction Act, it became permanent, right? So instead of it being extended every year the way Congress used to do it and still does for many of, of the tax provisions, this now has become permanent. Um, and what it allows clients is to uh, get a deduction. So it's not a credit. It's a deduction on uh, three portions of a building. Right, so you have the building envelope, which basically entails the the walls, you know, slab, roofing, uh, doors, windows. Uh, you have the HVAC, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and you have the lighting. So if you achieve a certain percentage of energy efficiency, right, above a certain threshold, um, you can get a deduction uh, up to five dollars, and uh, it's inflation adjusted. Uh, but up to $5 if you meet prevailing wage and apprenticeship requirements uh, after 2023. So it's uh, actually a, a, you know, a very uh, lucrative deduction if you can uh, comply and, and have an eligible building. So we, we, I think we're going to see a lot more 179 Cap D. Now that it's permanent, um, it's become obviously more, more well-known. So um, we're going to start seeing, I think, a lot more of that. And that is $5 per square foot, right? $5 per square foot. So if you're doing a, a cost seg, then it's kind of, I would say, almost default on your side that you're also looking to see if there's some section 179 deductions. Absolutely. Taken as well. Absolutely. Um, now, because of bonus appreciation, I think you've mentioned this briefly, um, clients that have qualified improvement property, right, which was and still are eligible for, for bonus depreciation, um, really stop looking at 179 cap D because when you're building out of space, you're leasing it, uh, you're probably putting lighting in there. You might be putting HVAC. You might be doing some building envelope work. But since bonus depreciation was available and QIP is eligible for bonus, why look at 179 cap D? Um, however, that also may start changing as bonus starts phasing down, right? 60% um, this year. So 179 cap D, again, I think will um, we'll start becoming a lot more attractive to some of our clients. Well, that's all the time we have today for On the Shop Floor. I want to thank Ralph for joining us. Please log on to weaver.com forward slash podcast to get all the latest manufacturing, distribution, retail developments and join our newsletter. Thanks again.